Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Carly Stein Kremer, to our show today. Carly is the founder of Beekeepers Natural, a company that focuses on products made from natural honey, bee propolis, royal jelly, and other byproducts of bee raising. The idea for Beekeepers Naturals came after Carly was on a college abroad trip in Europe and experienced a terrible flare-up. She suffered from chronic tonsillitis, an illness that dominated a majority of her life. So she went to a local pharmacy to find some relief and stumbled upon a compound called propolis, which is a combination of tree and plant resin created by bees to protect the hive that also has over 300 compounds that are beneficial for human immunity. She quickly realized the power of this natural ingredient herself, and that's when the passion and the idea of the company was born. Fast forward to today, Carly and Beekeepers Naturals have sold over 2 million units of their hero product, Propolis Throat Spray, which sells one unit every 30 seconds. Her company is also ranked as Amazon's number one brand in the cold and flu category. The company has also quickly expanded from 5,000 retail locations to over 18,000 across North America, which includes Target, CVS, and Walgreens, doubling revenue year over year. In this week's episode, we sat down with Carly to talk about her very windy journey in starting the business. Even though she had this idea in college, she ended up pursuing a job in finance. And years later, she decided to leave her very comfortable and reputable job at Goldman Sachs to start the business. We discussed the importance of securing your finances before taking the leap to start your company, why resilience was key in her entrepreneurial journey, and how we can all cultivate this in our lives today. We also talk about how she created her first products from her kitchen, the steps she took to create awareness in the early days when she was selling at farmers markets and how she thought about fundraising all throughout her journey. We also chat about how she tackles her anxiety and calms her nervous system, how she sets up her day to succeed and so much more. Welcome to the show, Carly. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Well, I am a big fan of the brand. I completely admire you and your story. I know this is going to be a great one. And I was just telling you before you came in, I was a little bit tired before the interview and I took your brain feel and I'm like, oh my gosh, my brain is focused. I'm on point. I'm literally telling everyone about it. So big fan of everything you've built. Oh my gosh, that makes me so happy. And yeah, our nootropic is one of my favorite products. It's It's incredible. So good. And I take, I mean, your pro... Now we're talking about the business, but I take your propolis. Am I saying it correctly? Propolis, 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 however you want to do it. Yeah. You're both right. Every (laughs) time I travel, I take that Mm -hmm. with me just like proactively to make sure I'm all in good health. But no, love your brand, everything you've built. I'm very excited to get into it. And before we go into your story, I actually want to talk about resilience. It's something you've mentioned a lot in other interviews, and you've personally mentioned that building resilience has been key on your journey, starting and scaling your business. So can you just expand and talk more about that and what resilience has meant to you? Yeah. So I really believe it's one of the most important things to kind of cultivate as an entrepreneur. And for me, it's 
to put it differently, it's kind of like ability to bounce back, ability to be flexible, ability to meet a challenge. And with entrepreneurship in the early days, but kind of forever, you're solving problems. Like that's the crux of starting a business. You're solving a problem and, you know, or creating something that doesn't exist to fill a void or however you want to spin it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a form of problem solving. And so inherently, you're going to be meeting challenges and hitting walls and coming up against barriers. Otherwise, this problem would have been solved already by someone else. And you need to have that resilience, that ability to meet that challenge and not be discouraged or get discouraged and come back from it later. And it's really building that ability that allows you to thrive and grow. And for me, it's just been, if I had to isolate everything to one trade, I think that would be one of the um, greatest predictors of success. When I wow. look at myself, when I look at you know people on my team, people I look up to, I think it's, it's really building that resilience that supports people through this journey. I love this so much. And me being in the thick of my own journey, it is so true. Like you are dealing with problems all day, every day. And if it was easy, then everybody would be doing it, right? Totally. And I love the resilience aspect. But would you say like kind of looking back at the earlier days, I know you opened up about it in another interview where you said, you know, I had self-doubt. I was very insecure. So how have you cultivated this resilience trait, which you mentioned is just so critical. Yeah. So in a lot of different ways, when it comes to the self-doubt, I had a lot of naysayers when I started the business. And I I actually now think that might be a great sign because again, if it's if it's so foreign, there's no precedent for understanding, mm. that maybe is a bigger opportunity. At least it feels that way, or I tell myself that. But I had I met so much criticism and I had so much passion about the problem I was solving. So that is really what allowed me to meet that. But building myself up and and resilience in that particular situation took the form of me bringing myself back to the problem I'm solving and why and what I'm passionate about and how challenging some of these problems have been for me and thinking about the broader population. So kind of like bringing it back to the facts and not getting caught up in certain people's opinions or perspectives or biases. That's how resilience took shape in that situation. But the other big thing as an entrepreneur is, and you know this, you're your job is constantly changing because yeah, you just, you have to do everything at the start. It's just you. And then finally you get to a place where you can bring someone else on. And in a perfect world, you bring someone else on to take on a role and they're much better than you. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, great. Now I'm free of that specific thing. Let's take on this new thing that I have no idea how to do and have never done before. And so yeah. that's like the nature of that is having to be really resilient and flexible and learn new skills and just be really comfortable being bad at things and appreciate that you will get good at them. Oh, I love that because I actually think that's a skill you can cultivate even before you jump into entrepreneurship. I kind of jumped around in my career and I never had a problem being the less knowledgeable person in the room because I knew I had the confidence to like figure it out. And I think if you can cultivate that skill early on, it will only benefit you a hundred percent in your business. hundred percent. Yeah, you, you absolutely don't need to have a business to cultivate this. I mean, this is a skill that will carry you through all the challenges of life and in, in a perfect world, get you to a place where you meet a challenge and it's an exciting opportunity for you to grow or to figure something new out or, you know, see, really taking on that kind of obstacle is the way mentality. That's one of our principles with our team. We talk a lot about the obstacle is the way. Oh, I love that. But I will say what you're saying in terms of from a business perspective, I am so living and breathing that. Like once you hire a team, you have people, you're like, okay, I got this. But then you're getting to like the next level of the business. And I'm just like, man, I don't have the answers. Like literally yeah. this week, there's been five different projects and initiatives. 
And, you know, as a CEO, you're the one that has to like kind of lead and put the overall scope. Of course, your team can support, but you're the one that sees every aspect of the business. So you have a different angle. And I'm just like, man, I don't have the answers. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming. But what you mentioned in terms of zooming out, and it sounds so basic, but it's true. It truly helps zooming out and really understanding the why and the mission. Mm -hmm. And I'll connect with the customer when I need that inspiration of like totally, why I'm doing it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing what we're doing, where I get an email of someone's life changing. I'm like, this is what's motivating me. So it sounds basic, but that why of what you're saying and the mission I think is a superpower in building this resilience. So whatever you're doing, if you can know what the broader mission is, because business is tough and we'll get into your journey. But I, I love that. And I think that's such a great way to open up the interview. So I actually now want to talk about your childhood. And it's interesting because as I'm reflecting back on your life, like you've had resilience even as a kid because you had so many health issues that you've had to navigate and bounce back from. But can you share with us more about what your childhood was like and kind of how that shaped your view of the world? Yeah. So, I mean, I had a great childhood in so many ways, but I was sick a lot. And, you know, thankfully I was not sick with anything life-threatening, but it certainly affected my life quality. I have an autoimmune condition. I had a really weak immune system and all kinds of things from that, allergies to everything, just all kinds of challenges. But I really struggled with tonsillitis. I had chronic tonsillitis. I would be sick for weeks at a time. And because I can't take antibiotics because I have an allergy, no one really knew what to do with me. I was a situation where I really needed a tonsillectomy, but it was deemed too dangerous because in the case of infection, I can't take antibiotics. So I had this experience where I would be sick for like three weeks at a time on a regular basis and sick to the point where like it was hard to breathe. It was very painful. It just it was very uncomfortable. And I credit to my parents, I and the Canadian medical system, I was able to see a lot of specialists and like I saw everyone and it was a really frustrating experience because I was seeing these great people who specialize and I was hoping would have answers and resolution for me and I just didn't fit into the traditional Western medical model. I found no resolution down that road and so from a very early age, I started exploring the world of natural and I found a lot of amazing things in that world but I was dealing with something chronic and something viral and I didn't find anything that was like a silver bullet that just fixed all my problems and maybe that's too much to be looking for, but I, I became really disillusioned with the world of natural health because mm. I felt that there was a lot of like beautiful branding and big bold claims and anecdotal evidence, but it was really lacking in science and I had a frustrating experience a number of times. I had this both with pharmaceuticals and with natural where I took something that I expected to help me and I had a really severe allergic reaction and it was you know a dangerous situation and mm. I just felt like it was so polarized there's like western medicine and pharmaceuticals and OTC on one side and then natural on the other and I really wanted something that was safe clean and effective but rooted in science so I knew there was efficacy there I knew that it would actually help me yeah it was just I just became really frustrated with the entire space and that frustration later pushed me to do something about it. But that was, you know, my experience for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, your passion came from your own problem eventually. But, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than really understanding the pain point to like push forward on the business. But I'm going to fast forward a little bit. And, you know, I want to talk about college time. So, you know, you went to study abroad in Florence. And I know you said you like worked your ass off as a waitress to like pay for it. So you are expecting this to just be like the most incredible experience. And you got like pretty sick. Like you usually have gone sick, but pretty sick at the time, right? Yeah. So 
kind of walk us through that experience and why it was so pivotal, especially on your journey. Yeah. So I was actually studying, my exchange program was in Sweden. So I was, oh. that's where I was studying. But I, okay. when I got sick, I was visiting Florence. Gotcha. Um, and we were on holiday. So I was visiting friends there and I was with a bunch of my friends. It was great. But yeah, so I, it was my first big trip. I had, you know, typical broke college student. I, <laughs> I worked really hard to get out there and be able to be a part of that exchange program. And it was really frustrating. And I, I just kind of felt like, man, I'm always on the bench at like these very special experiences. And so when we got to Florence, I got really, really sick, really severe tonsillitis, very, very painful, hard time breathing, hard time like swallowing fluids. It was just unbelievably uncomfortable. And I was speaking to one of my girlfriends who was pre-med and she, you know, her older sister was in med school out there and she was like, you need to talk to a pharmacist and figure this out. And so I was very, very fortunate to meet this incredible pharmacist when I was in Florence. And I spoke to her about my whole life experience, all of my allergies, all of the things I had a reaction to, what triggers the symptoms, the whole thing. And she was like, oh, you need propolis. And I was like, okay, what's that? (laughs) And she's like, you know, from the bees. And I was like, okay, I've tried everything. I don't think honey's going to cut it. (laughs) I was like very, very skeptical. And she explained to me what propolis is, that it's not actually honey or a honey derivative. It's its own compound that the bees make coming from plant and tree resins and it has antiviral effects and it's got antioxidants and you know all of these amazing things that can really support healing but most importantly it's an immunomodulatory agent so for me being autoimmune it's really tricky to find something that helps to stimulate my immune system but also not kick it into overdrive where i have a reaction and There's very powerful antiviral effects with propolis. It's like a well-studied, well-documented immune support system. It's been used for over three – or sorry, it's been used for thousands of years. I think since – I think the recorded use dates back to like 300 BC. Wow. I I could be wrong, but I think that's right. Um, We can fact check it. But (laughs) yeah, so humans have been using this for a very long time. So it's not some like new thing. We have a very long healing history. And it's powerful. So she sold me this little tincture of propolis and it tasted like vodka. It did not really? taste good. Because it was in an alcohol base. Okay. And so that later was part of my reformulation when I started my own. But I st- so she sold this product to me. She was really compelling. Of course, after all of the reactions I've had to different things I've, I had tried at that point, um, I got on PubMed right when I got home and did some research. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of studies on how propolis affects immune system. There's there's studies looking at propolis and how it affle- and it affects inflammation. There's, you know, all kinds of really compelling evidence that this is something that could really help me and it's something that although it's totally natural and, you know, free of synthetic ingredients and allergens and like all the things I need to worry about, it's quite powerful seemingly. And so I started using it and in five days I made a full recovery and basically my experience was propolis functioned for me the way antibiotics do for most people with something like tonsillitis and I was able to totally bounce back and then because I had done all this research on propolis, I understood that you can take this on a daily basis and really ref really rejigger your immune system and that's what I did and so since 2012 I've taken propolis every day and um I haven't had I still have my tonsils I haven't had tonsillitis since 2012 really I very rarely get sick very very rarely and I my immune system is completely changed it's it's pretty amazing 
Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use, we make it every effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. It's so fascinating because clearly you've tried like western eastern all the things and yeah. someone's telling you to take honey right you thought was mm-hmm. or you thought it was honey at the time you're like what like yeah what? and i like, love honey by the yeah. way but yeah <laughs> but i'm sure you were desperate and you're like yeah. i gotta figure out something to do i was I'm like i need something serious here yeah, yeah asap but that's so amazing so i'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit but you clearly had this incredible experience with propolis in europe you come back to canada for college And you ended up apprenticing with a local beekeeper. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, like at the time, were your intentions to start a business or what were you kind of thinking leaving Europe and now kind of diving deep into this? So I I thought I was going to become a cancer researcher. I, you know, I I have this long experience of having to do all this research on everything I put in my body. So I was, you know, passionate about putting that to use. Yeah. I did not think I would start a business, but I had a really hard time finding propolis. And then when I did find it, I struggled with the quality. There's a lot in in North America, there's different pesticide regulation than in Europe. And a lot of bee products, including ones that are certified organic, have trace amounts of pesticide exposure. Now, for a lot of people, a lot of things in our environment, a lot of foods, a lot of so much has trace amounts of pesticide exposure. But I'm autoimmune and incredibly sensitive and reactive to that. So for me, ingesting pesticides, particularly when my body is in a vulnerable state, even a tiny amount that for other people really wouldn't affect them, uh, it can be really challenging for me. So because we do not have uh, the same regulations as they do in Europe, I was like, okay, well, clearly I need to run quality control for this and myself. And you tried one, right, and got like very yeah, sick. Yeah, I, tr- I bought this organic propolis that was really expensive and fancy. And it was also just generally hard to find. There was a lot of honey, a lot of manuka honey was popular at that time. But propolis in North America, it just, it really wasn't well known. It's really well known in Europe. There is a really um, long history of use in parts of Asia. But in North America, I mean, honeybees aren't native to North America. So it's not so crazy that we wouldn't have as nuanced of an understanding of like all the things the bees do. But I had a really hard time finding it. I finally found this like fancy bougie propolis and I had an allergic reaction and I was really frustrated and upset by that and so at the time being a student benefited me so I you know accessed the lab I ran a toxicity panel I figured out there was pesticides in it they were trace amounts but still and then I started to understand the ecosystem and what's happening Mm -hmm. in the world of agriculture in North America and why there would be pesticides in this product that was more expensive than the one I bought in Europe and says organic on it and once I learned about all of that I was like, okay, well, I need this stuff. I can't really move to Europe in this moment. So let's just start beekeeping. And then it was when I started beekeeping that I just 
fell in love with the bees. I was, I just, I mean, it's the coolest thing in the world. Oh my gosh. I love it. I know. I mean, it's not very common. You see a college student kind of beekeep and oh, do it as a Oh, my friends thought I was nuts. Like, did she lose her mind? They thought I was like actually nuts. <laughs> yeah. So interesting. But I, I can understand the why behind in terms of you wanted to kind of create or you needed it for yourself. I needed it, yeah. And kind of having that research interest, you're going to dive deep into whatever you're passionate about. So it's kind of cool how you directed that to beekeeping and propolis. So from my understanding, you know, you started kind of creating these like mini prototypes or like products for yourself and friends and people were buying it. And you mentioned that it was kind of like a dream for you to start a business because you were helping yourself. You were really enjoying it. So tell me more about why that didn't really pan out the way you did when you were graduating college, even though you had this like massive interest and passion around it. Yeah. So it really evolved organically, just making stuff for myself, sharing them with friends. And then I started to kind of sell them on campus. And it was really cool because I was getting amazing feedback from people. I felt like I was helping people. I had really transformed my own health at that point, And I had a really detailed understanding of how to work with the bees, the important role that they play in our overall environment, what's happening with the bees in terms of population decline and pesticides and all these things. And I was just like, ready to save the bees and reform healthcare and all that, like really, really passionate about it all Um, and just really enjoying myself learning about all of this. But I graduated with debt and I, you know, I didn't have any money in my pocket to start a business. I didn't have any connections. I didn't really know what fundraising was. Like, you know, I had really focused on sciences, so I didn't have an awareness of these things. And I was really fortunate. I had a job offer out of school. It was a research position at a financial firm. And it wasn't the type of research that I was necessarily interested in, but it was still, it was research in the biotech field. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was still looking at, I was looking at big pharmaceutical companies Uh, which was really interesting and an amazing experience because I think it framed the way I look at things now. But yeah, I felt like I kind of had to take that job. And it Mm -hmm. was this funny thing because I was so fortunate to have that opportunity. I mean, so many of my friends, so many people graduate with a ton of debt, no opportunities. I mean, my husband graduated in 2008. And so we talk all the time about like his experience versus mine. Yeah. So I was I was really fortunate and I had this pretty good on paper job, but it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. And so I did that for about 10 months. And then 10 months in, I was recruited by Goldman Sachs and I joined them because I was just like, next step in the career, more cash. Great. This is like, I should be so happy. And I was there for just over two years. And I had, you know, talk about cultivating resilience, like all of these experiences where you're not you're faced with challenge or you're having to work with personalities that don't align or you're just to put simply not getting what you want or what you expected you have to really cultivate that resilience so there was so much that I learned from both of these opportunities and I had to kind of get to a point where I was like I'm really unhappy Mm -hmm. and there's something that I want to be doing and that I feel pulled towards and everyone thinks it's crazy and I'm leaving like the safety and stability of this situation that I'm so fortunate to be in, but I have to try it. Gosh, I mean, this resonates so much with me because I kind of went down the finance route too. I did it for a while, gosh, six years, I think. Um, And it's interesting because when you're in that world and so much of your story resonates, like 
and you want to get out of it, people think you're nuts. They like think you're, you're crazy. They literally think this you're is the best job in the world. Nothing else exists. Yes. You're never going to be able to like afford a meal again. Like it's so wild. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. And tell me more. Well, I actually have two questions about this. So one thing during that time, which I thought was super interesting, was you had a spreadsheet. Like I love this because my brain works like this. But tell me about this happiness spreadsheet because I think it's super interesting and can help people listening. Yeah. So when I was working, I mean, you know what it's like, I'm sure, it's analyst crazy. hours. Like I was I was pulling a lot of all-nighters. And you weren't getting sick. I was yeah, getting sick. I was sick. using so propolis. Yeah. Yeah. Because your was, health is like deteriorating mm-hmm. during all that. Yeah. Yeah. People <laughs> would make fun of me and like call me a hippie and stuff on the desk because like I had my propolis here. I had, you know, the whole situation. Yeah. Um, my bee pollen, everything. But I really – I wasn't getting sick, but I also wasn't well. I was really unhappy. I was, I was starting to have panic attacks. Mm not sleeping at all. I mean, just just the like, I was really only in finance 2013 to 2017, but like the number it did on my sleep over the long term, I'm like still trying to recover. I, same. Yeah. Same. Um, it's tough. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I was, I just kind of realized like I should be happy, right? Mm. Like I have, you know, more financial security than I've ever had. I'm so lucky to have a job when so many people don't. Everyone around me seems to think that like where we work is the best yeah. place in the world. And I am a really unhappy person right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really panicked and anxious and like I'm having heart palpitations and I'm in my 20s. Wow. And I sat down and made a spreadsheet and I was just trying to identify the specific points in time and things and moments where I was the happiest, Mm. things, activities, whatever it was where I can remember like a peak happiness experience, I tried to kind of catalog it and then break it down into time periods and try to understand. And one of the things that has and continues to make me the happiest is beekeeping, Mm. working with the bees, being in nature, being in that the kind of like beautiful solitude that is beekeeping um, and and solving health problems through research, really looking at the problems I face, learning about the problems that my friends face and really using data to figure out a better way to approach these problems. And so those are just two experiences in life that fill me up and what I was doing didn't. And also, again, just like cultural differences, like feeling like you're in the wrong place, I'm sure. I mean, did you have that kind of experience in finance? I, now you're fully immersed in the wellness world. Yeah, well, so. for my own, I had a different experience. I mean, I ruined my hormones yeah. through, you know, birth control and just a lifestyle and I'm still recovering mm-hmm. from, you know, that time. But I mean, you were working on the trading floor, which is a completely different culture than like investment banking, corporate banking. That's like way more intense. So I can only imagine what you were going through. And what I find so interesting, and I kind of look back and it seems like for your journey too, we were kind of following the money, right? I also Mm -hmm. had debt and also the way people look at you like, oh, you work at JP Morgan, you work at Goldman. It's like, they look at you like you're this- Like you're smart, you made made it. it. And I'm like, no. And then, you know, you're making the money, but at some point you're like, okay, this might be a really blanket statement, but I didn't feel like people were happy and fulfilled with their job, especially some of the women. There's not a lot, but I was like, I just don't see myself in anyone here. The personalities are different. But then it seems like also with you, like you realize the more money doesn't equal happiness. And I didn't know that actually. I thought the more money you make and as you kind of go up the ranks, like you've made it. And we clearly both found that out early on that that's not what brings you happiness. I I think I saw that. And look, I have friends who are still in finance and doing so well and so happy. So, you know, 
of course, for different people, different things work. Every team within these huge organizations, mm-hmm. every team is different. Yes. I was on a primarily male team. I was on a team with a very aggressive culture. It was very like this is before the self-care era. So it was like if you take vacation – you're out like it was like not that was not okay yeah and it was just um it was a very particular team and I think I looked at my my superiors in that situation I looked at the my bosses and they were unbelievably successful but wrapped up and again this is like my team and my particular experience and not everybody is like this at all but the things that they were chasing and they were always chasing Mm. and it didn't matter what level they hit there was always like someone new to compare yourself to something new to chase and that wasn't the life that I wanted Mm -hmm. like they were the problem they were solving was like more money more things Mm -hmm. and like those were not the problems that filled me up or made me happy like those things actually made me very depressed and remind me wasn't there a story like your boss put you in the room and kind of went through like the financial upside. Oh my God, yeah. Can you share that? Because I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So I told someone senior to me on my team that I was not super happy. Okay. And thinking about leaving. And I was kind of like confiding in this person. And this person was quite senior to me. And he, I think he was trying to save me in his mind. But he took me into the boardroom. And like, so I told him what I wanted to do with this little bee product company. And um, he basically, like using arbitrary numbers, just broke it down on one of the boards about like where I would end up and how like at Goldman I could end up here. And this is a choice to end up in my parents' basement completely broke. Wow. And it was just – it was a tough experience because one, I was Mm mid-20s and this person's a lot older than me and very successful and someone I really respect, Mm -hmm. someone who I look at as like an intelligent, successful individual. And – I was kind of like confiding in them and sort of vulnerable and opening up. And it was just such a – there was such a finality to it. There was such a like, this will fail. Mm -hmm. You're wrong. You are dumb and naive. And like you need to sit in your chair and put a smile on your face or you're going to ruin your life. And it was just like very extreme. And it was also a really great turning point for me because it was so extreme and hurtful. And it made me really clear that – I don't want to be that. I don't want to be in this environment. Huh. And like, I'm going to try and prove this person wrong. I love, I mean, talk about resilience. Like a lot of people might have just listened to him, right? I mean, he's more senior than you. Yeah. I was way more impressionable in my 20s. I didn't take the leap until I was like in my 30s. So props to you being young and being like, you know what? Forget this guy. Like, I'm going to prove him wrong. Like that's Thank really you. incredible. I mean, it's such a, maybe I, I had so many tough experiences on the desk at that time that I think it was like yeah. the buildup. And sure. and again, the whole way cultivating that resilience mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, realizing that like, being so scared of failing that I don't even try like where does that land me because I'm not happy now I don't think I'm going to be happier doing the same thing with like a bigger apartment yes yes and you don't know that until you go through it yourself right so no I love that and even to kind of think about this leap because I think some people think you just kind of leave your job and you start a business and it doesn't really work that way I mean you you've been thinking about this idea years before years even you got your corporate job you know so you actually also gave yourself a timeline when you're at Goldman so how did you think about that timeline so I definitely I was like I need to be out of here in the next six 
months to a year. The sooner the better, mostly because of the all frequent all-nighters and just lifestyle. And I looked at all my options. I was looking at, you know, the logical transitions that people at that time took from Goldman. So a lot of people were going to tech, a lot of people were going into consulting, going to the buy side, like stuff like that. And I was like, these are all things that I could do right now with this thing on my resume and this experience. But there's really one thing I want to do. And so mm-hmm. um, I started really saving really really saving and living in an incredibly frugal way and I saved up enough that I could really go kind of a year without income Mm -hmm. and also I would have to forego rent but I could survive yeah um and then also have enough to kind of do an initial purchase order and buy enough product and inventory that I could you know sell it to some amount of people um so I I just basically did that calculation of like what it would take Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I got to that point and um I took the leap so I left end of 2016 I moved in with my best friend who generously let me crash on the couch for two years that's amazing yeah very lucky in New York small small places it was really small (laughs) it was it was a two-bedroom apartment in Chelsea but there were four people living in it and so and I mean like this is stuff that flies in your 20s yeah I'm like now yeah (laughs) yeah um and so it was it was a full house but it was also a really fun time in a lot of ways and it was um an interesting time for me because I had kind of Mm -hmm. I was like you know there's a culture in finance and my peers and all of us and like I really left that world and entered a very different world Mm -hmm. and you know I went from wearing like a really chic outfit and like walking into 200 west to standing at a farmer's market with a cardboard sign and it was just like a very different experience but I was so much happier Mm. and I built up from there I love that and I think you know that cushion of savings that you had makes these leaps so much easier it's still tough but even for me before I even knew what business I wanted I was just stashing my money I'm like one one day I know I'm gonna leave and do something I don't have an idea and it just worked out years later. So I love that because it gives you the confidence to be like, okay, I have this amount of money. You were thinking I'm going to live with my friend, you know, just being a little bit thoughtful yeah. about it, which I think is good. And it makes the leap a little bit more palatable and not as scary, at totally, least. Totally, totally. You have to factor in your life. And I know, I, I feel like over the past few years, there's been this sentiment with entrepreneurship of like, dive in, sink or swim. And I think it's really healthy to to also get experience in the workforce. Yeah. There's so mm-hmm. much that I took for granted then mm-hmm. in the workforce, just understanding personality dynamics, seeing how things were run, things that I really liked and learned from and things I didn't like and like and learned from um, that I, I take with me today. But having a plan and getting yourself to a point where you're stable enough to be able to create, that's that's really important for some people. For me, it certainly was. Yeah. And look, like stability can mean different things. For sure. some people, it wouldn't feel so stable, like crashing on a couch and not being able to pay rent for two years. But I, I took stock of what I needed and wanted and what I was comfortable with, mm-hmm. and I made that happen. And before that, were you creating these products in your home when you were at Goldman? Like, what was that? Yeah, so I was, I had my own apartment when I was there. <laughs> and I was, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, um, I bought a bunch of lab equipment and Amazing. I was making product I was sourcing from my mentor out in British Columbia at that time at that apiary because that was the apiary with the product quality that was basically meeting my standard. And I was, yeah, he was like harvesting them, shipping them to me, and then I would do extractions in my apartment. My friends used to joke that I was like running a meth lab. <laughs> I mean, someone in finance, that's so random Yeah, too. it was like, it was really, really random. It was really funny. My husband now, because I still 
like when I moved to LA, like I brought like a lot of my lab equipment with me because it yeah. was expensive stuff. I'm yeah, like not it's not it cheap. Out. Yeah. Now, now I do not have it anymore, but we work with labs now. It's not like me <laughs> um, in a hazmat suit. But yeah, so he he saw that and he was like pretty weirded out. It was like kind of early into us dating and like he yeah. didn't realize <laughs> that I was like really into chemistry. Um, but yeah, it was really funny. So I was I was doing it that way. It was like very small batch. I would go to markets and then I would like I started getting like pre-purchase orders from individuals and it was I was really championed by two groups. One was like millennial parents who were looking to support their family in a different way. And then it was a lot of young professionals dealing with autoimmune, a lot of people on the East Coast with Lyme disease, a lot Mm. of like, yeah, just different autoimmune things. And it was interesting because it was like young professionals that were in the corporate world and like and just like not finding solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, So those were kind of the two consumer groups. And I had like a little email list and I had like my people that would meet me at different markets and I would take these pre-orders and do it that way. It was just really small scale. Well, what's so great about that, you know, even with a crazy job like you had at Goldman where you had, you know, nights that you would be there multiple days a week, you were still kind of dabbling in this business. I mean, it wasn't like a massive business, but you were still creating products, like putting yourself out there. And I think that also kind of helps with the confidence boosting for you to take that leap. Totally. Yeah. I had done so much work with it around it. I knew what I was doing. Like I knew what I had. I mean, it had been years of beekeeping at that point and I wasn't actively beekeeping while I was working at Goldman but like you know I I knew what I was doing and I had a plan and I thankfully understood what was required at that point and was Mm -hmm. able to scale somewhat quickly all things considered yeah I love that because I think some people look at you and they're like oh she quit her job did well like the business blew up like that's why I love going into the details of like you were doing this on the side I mean fast forward years even before you were selling in a farmer's markets so what's really incredible six months into the business when you were fully dedicated you did 600k which is amazing for the first year what were your early marketing techniques and how did you create that I guess success so early on it was a lot I mean Instagram was kind of big at that time yeah and I was using Instagram and I was really doing like longer form content very science focused I would kind of put it into two buckets one would be ingredient focused science focused like validating kind of health claim stuff and the other would be educating about the bees and what's happening and where these things are coming from so people can feel like they really understand it Mm. versus the experience when you like get a pill bottle um so it was it was leveraging social media in that way but a lot of it was just connecting with customers and customer experience i mean i know this is the case for you too it's so important to understand who your customer is what they want and how to support them Mm -hmm. and i think simply because i was like standing at the market getting real-time feedback watching people try it take it home Mm -hmm. come back the next weekend or two weekends later or email me that i was able to really perfect the product and really iterate and i was so small at that time that iterating was quite easy i was able to like really shift things and change formulas and and meet my customer where they were so it was it was really a combo of digital education and then meeting and understanding your customer and like all of the surprise and delight stuff I was like inadvertently doing because I was like following up with people yeah. and like, oh, your six-year-old has strep throat. How's he doing? Yeah. Like, how's this? Because I was like connecting with these people and I wanted to know and I was so curious how these products were working for different people at different mm-hmm. ages dealing with different things. And so um, I was able 
that kind of carried me and I was able to create this word of mouth business and uh, my email list built up and then I was able to put up a website and it that was really it was a very slow build but mm. it was connecting understanding building the product for the people who needed it I love this so much because it's such a organic and approachable approach because I think sometimes mm. like we all I think business plans are important and to be thoughtful but it's really like one step in front of the other, which I love hearing mm -hmm. your journey. Like it came from, okay, Instagram came out. How do I educate people on what I'm doing? Because it's so unique. Okay, I'm gonna go to these farmer's market, connect with customers, iterate, which is so beautiful when you're small because it's so easy to do. Yeah. It's like a blessing. It is. And you know, having strong customer experience, which I'm, I'm smirking because that is kind of where I'm at right now. Like I care, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, how's your daughter? Or like, how are the menopause hot flashes? Like totally. I care. It's actually getting to the point where I'm like, how do I scale myself for customer experience? Cause I, yeah. it's tough. Like you really develop relationships with yeah, your customers. Yeah. You have to find the best customer I love know. team. I'm that, really lucky with that. Yeah. yeah it's huge. It's yeah. huge. Is that, now I'm going off a tangent, but is that something you focused on like pretty early on in the business? For a very long time. It was me for a very long for like time. longer than it probably should have really? been really okay. I was also it's, it's hard it's, to let go of it's that. something that fills you up too totally and totally. so it's like and you're I was so scared and I think I am always scared of this like losing connection with the people you make the products for and so we do a lot to stay connected now mm -hmm. um, and and try to scale these things or these experiences. So yeah, I was doing it for a long time. And then I, I met a really thoughtful individual and she was just – and she's still with the company. Oh, she's like it. so wonderful and has such strong interpersonal skills and yeah. like really, really cares. Yes. And seeing her in action, I was like, okay, I can take my hands off the wheel. This is like a – unbelievable person yeah. <laughs> um so I got really lucky and then you know when you have that experience bringing someone on who cares the way you do just and you know she she wasn't coming from a beekeeping background but sure. she just cares about people and so yes. I think I was lucky to have that positive experience I have other parts of the business where I brought someone on who was the wrong fit and it was really challenging and then I had the scar tissue and to work through that but uh, I was really fortunate in that situation to find great people. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that you said you were doing that for so long because my husband is like, you just need help. Like I'm literally doing email. I know. Like, well, all well, the time. it can, it can. I mean, it's a big job. Yeah, it, it, it's and a it, really big job. And if someone's yeah. unhappy, it's like I'm it's like so all hands on deck yeah. to be like, what could I do? But totally, like you said, it it really fuels me. Like I love yeah. that part. So it's a chicken and an egg. But that's that's amazing. You found someone that cares. I think that's like mm -hmm. the number one trait. Yeah, and then staying close to that team, and then you know making it a dialogue throughout the company. I was telling you before we started recording about our team retreat, but we talked a lot about the why, the mission, who we are. We always say internally, people, planet, propolis. Oh, and I so like that. those are the three things where we're trying to really have impact. But mm -hmm. whether you're in our finance department, sales, marketing, customer support, tech, whatever it may be, thinking about what is the problem you're trying to solve here at a high level and how can we meet the people who need us more mm -hmm. efficiently and connect with them more deeply. And so just having that conversation on an ongoing basis with everyone is is really great. I love that. No, super inspiring. So I'm going to go back to, you know, early days of the business. You're doing really well financially and you ended up raising money, mm -hmm. I guess somewhat early, you know, mm -hmm. when you were doing 600K. Yeah. And, you know, to date you've raised over 20 million. So I'm sure there's a lot of learnings and things you can share with our listeners um, right now. But what would you say would be maybe some of the biggest learnings you've had in the process particularly in the earlier days. Yeah. So it's interesting because earlier days of my business, I feel like growth was really rewarded mm. and fundamentals was not as 
as big of a focus. And now we've had this like swing back in the other direction, which I think is really healthy. Yeah. But I've always been very focused on fundamentals and mm -hmm. that could totally be something that I got from Goldman. Yeah. Um, I mean, I spent so much time looking at companies. So of course that shaped me. But one, I, and oh, lots of people have great success raising with a concept and choosing whatever valuation, but pretty, it was pretty by the book. I was doing this number in sales. I did a multiple of that. You know, my first round ever was a priced round, which you don't see a lot, but it was, it was very calculated. And I, I did really good forecasting. Mm -hmm. Not really good, actually. It was awful. <laughs> um, totally wrong. Totally yeah. wrong. Now we're yeah. really good because oh, I have much great. better people working with me. <laughs> but I was doing a level of forecasting that you don't typically see at that okay. stage. So I, I was really, I think what helped me fundraise and what made the pitch a really compelling story mm -hmm. was that I had built it out in such a specific way. And I had a lot of like, you know, if this vertical doesn't work, here's how we go. I had really, I had really thought about all of the what could go wrong, what could go right. And if things go really right, how we scale and don't hit problems. And by the way, we hit all of the problems scaling at different times. But, um, you know, obviously we were able to get enough right that we're here today. But <laughs> yeah, it was, I was just, I was really thoughtful about it. And I was kind of ignoring to some degree what was being rewarded in the marketplace and just thinking about like, simply what makes a viable company like what mm -hmm. create like how do we get to, what's the path to profitability even at this very very early juncture and just having like talking about that stuff and being very balanced I think really helped I, my passion so passionate about solving this problem I at that point had a really strong understanding of the pharmaceutical landscape and what was going right what was going wrong structurally mm -hmm. really understanding the growing interest in the world of natural, the unfortunate growing reality of autoimmune in the United States and, you know, broader worlds, mm -hmm. um, understanding my consumer when a lot of that I got from just staying close to them. And so I, I was able to, at the point that I went out to raise money, I had been running a business profitably, like making money doing it. I had enough customers that, you know, I, I had some real data points and all of that, like going out that way when you have tangible things made it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. I love it. And it probably gives you even more confidence. It does. Yeah. You know, which I feel like I would need to yeah, go into that yeah. if we ever were to raise money in the future. And it was still really hard. I mean, yeah. don't take me the wrong way. It's it's hard when you've put everything into something and believe in it and someone thinks it's a silly idea. Yeah. That's always hard. But like that's where the resilience comes in. And then also expecting that, understanding the landscape, sure. not taking it personally and working harder to find the people who mm. this idea will resonate with. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think what you said, like having the expectations that not everyone is going to say yes, like going yeah. into it knowing people are going to reject you. They mm -hmm. may not understand, but that's just part of the process. Yep. So you mentioned, you know, scaling at different points of the business. There's been so many mistakes and I'm sure so many setbacks. And, you know, I don't think we go into that enough. I think we glorify entrepreneurship, like Carly started this business and now is like yeah, killing it's it. It's so easy and it's now so we're easy. rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. So I don't know if there's any like one or two moments in the business that you mentioned, like you have scar tissue that you kind yeah. of look back and you're like, dang, like that was a interesting learning experience that you can kind of share with us. I mean, managing can be really yeah. challenging. And I've been all things considered very lucky. I love my team. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been able to just over the years work with such incredible people. But it can be really hard when you know someone comes onto the team who's not the right fit for the team they could be um, an amazing individual 
so talented and just the wrong fit and it all doesn't work yeah. um for me personally like letting go like I can be a bit of a micromanager so that's been a hard lesson that I've had to learn yeah. but then also just scaling I mean right really it was during COVID there was a ton of supply chain challenges mm -hmm. we had a period of time where we had like so much inventory just stuck on a boat oh, and we gosh. couldn't get it off and we like had purchase orders to fill and so that was really interesting because we had kind of reached this point where we had some level of success where we had large accounts placing large orders and then we couldn't meet these accounts and then we didn't have you know an efficient enough structure um, and then also when you're working in cpg which is consumer packaged goods it's a working capital intensive business like mm -hmm. we need to fund the next run of product and we're just we're constantly making things mm -hmm. and um you have to make things before you sell the next batch mm -hmm. and so just having to understand how to do this at different scales and be ready to scale really quickly but scaling really quickly things can break i mean just this year we uh, onboarded an ERP system, which is the right thing to do at this stage of the business and awesome. And thank goodness for my team because I would have <laughs> ruined everything um, if it weren't for my team. Like I have amazing people on my team who have been really running this project. Um, but even even that, I mean, there there's losses when you integrate new systems and that's kind of like a growing pain. And so at every level, there's new challenges. And I think it's again like how you meet those challenges and I feel like I'm making it sound like I'm so graceful when I meet a challenge and I'm just like <laughs> the obstacle is the way no I cry I freak I out gonna, sometimes yeah. I've gotten really upset at different times I lose sleep yeah. but I am able to move through those emotions and come back to the why and that's resilience I love that you know I've been talking a lot me and my co-founder we have a health series every Wednesday and I've just been opening up about like me crying and it's actually not a bad like I'm now owning it you know coming yeah. from the finance world it's like you go 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 no one cries I'm still like working through that but there's days where you know it's tough but when I cry and release like talk about resilience yeah I feel like now it's my superpower I like get it out of my body and then yeah. I'm ready to kind of bounce back maybe like two hours later but it's part of the process and sometimes I wonder I'm like is it just me am I like the only one but talking to friends like behind the scenes are like I had a really tough day and I cried yeah. like so it's just good to talk about <laughs> I think it's great my whole team has seen me cry like my team like jokes about how easily I cry. <laughs> yeah, happy even like for happy stuff. Oh my I god, cry. especially yeah. for happy yeah. stuff. I cry all the time for happy stuff. Like yeah. a team retreat with me yes. is just a friggin' tear fest. Like it's like I can't even yeah. imagine. Yeah, having like a team and being at a retreat. You know, that's it's so, so special. Many feels. Yeah. It's so special, but it's also yeah. I, I really I mean I remember having a situation when I was in finance where I made a big mistake and it was like a very public mistake. <laughs> oh, it was no. really tough, and I someone yelling at me and getting in my face oh, and being gosh, like, "Oh, yeah. are you gonna cry? Are you gonna cry?" Like in my face, like really close, and it was so. I think about the fact that. I was like 24 and that person was like 46 and they spoke to me like that and did that and I'm just like oh man um but yeah I remember like that was such a it's such a vivid memory for me um and now I yeah. love that I can be I so vulnerable and proud of that and that we encourage that on mm -hmm. the team mm -hmm. um and not everyone's crying yeah. as much <laughs> as me but but um 
they're safe too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just had a flashback. I had a similar situation where I, I was crying. I was taking time off during Christmas. Yeah. I, it was like months in advance. I had backup. You had to have like backup before you did. I got yeah. everything. I was like doing my, um, you know, everything was done perfectly. And this person wasn't happy. I was taking time off during the holidays and wasn't nice about it. And I started tearing up, I guess. And threw the Kleenex at me and was like, here's a Kleenex. And I think she felt bad, but didn't yeah. know how to like own it at the time. Yeah. She threw the Kleenex at me, got out of her office that I was in. It was like, just deal with it. And I'm like, and like, I, I mean, I was also, also like 23 and I yeah. look back and I'm like, man, that's so it was a baby. Yeah. yeah. It's so Where's crazy. The support? Yeah. So I'm glad we get to do our own thing right now in our businesses, which is I amazing. mean, and those experiences are important because you're a very different boss because of that totally. experience and your team's very lucky. And I don't, and what I realize, and we're still obviously so small, but culture for me is so big. Totally. Kindness. I'm oh, like, yeah. I think I have PTSD from the environment that I'm in. So I'm, I'm sure, just like, yeah. We need to just all be kind. Like that's the number one thing that I think of all the time about as we bring in people. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And not distracting with the politics. That's how you can really focus on solving the problem for your customer and making great things. Totally. Amen. Oh my gosh. And there's one thing I remember you were saying early on, you finally got into Whole Foods Canada and like the purchase order didn't, or like the manufacturing, there was some hiccups there. Oh my God. There. Yeah, that was so brutal. That was so brutal. We find, I like. Did they forget or like what ended up happening? So we had to pay a huge we had, to, we had to pay fines, which was okay. really tough at that time. It was really, really tough. I think I like docked my salary and like a few of the senior people on the team. We had like we had a conversation about it, but we were like, we're going to have to do this. Is everyone OK with this? Who's not OK with this? And it was still it was a very small team at that time, but it was really tough and it slowed us down a lot. And we had to do a lot of like. There was a lot of like TLC needed for that relationship because they were like, you're supposed to be like, you finally got in. Oh, You've been shit. trying so hard. And so it was just really challenging. I mean, it was something we worked through. And again, it was an expensive problem to solve. It slowed us down. And we had to put a lot of time and energy into mm -hmm. um, rebuilding that trust and basically showing that we're a professional organization and that we can, we're ready to be in this account and big enough. And it pushed me into action. I realized we needed support on the brokerage and distribution side in order to meet these accounts more efficiently and make sure we don't have issues like that again. So yeah. it was a fortunate situation to happen early on because sure. the structure that we then went and implemented carried us, but it was yeah. really it was really tough and just so many things like that along the way. Yeah. But those are those problems are so important because that's how you restructure and build it better. So and you don't like I think so many people want to have all the answers for everything. And it's like entrepreneurship doesn't work like that. Like, no. look, you got into Whole Foods Canada finally and you're just like figuring it out behind the scenes. Yeah. But yeah. Always. That's just how it works. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. even nowadays you're still doing that at a whole other scale. With totally. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have any answers. I'm just always figuring, figuring it out. out. Like seriously, yeah. problem solving all the time. So one thing you said in another interview, which I thought was so interesting, is you mentioned that the individual with the calmest nervous system will win. Tell me more about what you mean by that. Yeah. And it's so it's like certain people, if they listen to this and know me, are going to be laughing because like I wouldn't say I'm always super calm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in challenging situations and sure. situations of conflict, mm. uh, I'm like professionally in a situation of conflict, I am able to be very calm. That's Have you always been like that? Professionally, yes. Yeah. Yeah. If it's like personal and I'm like protecting my like friend or little sister. Um, totally different thing. But professionally, yeah. I've always been able to be like that. Yeah, I think I think maybe it started by accident because I was like, 
I don't know how to respond to this. I'm really scared. But it's something that I learned could be a superpower. And so, yeah, in in really challenging situations, slowing down. Mm. And I, I tend to speak fast. So literally slowing down your voice, keeping yeah. even keel, like just keep breathing, keep your nervous system mm. calm and what ends up happening is like the other person will keep not always sometimes they'll match you and you'll yeah. be able to resolve in a really beautiful way but um, either that will happen or they'll keep escalating and you'll be able to maintain this baseline that will eventually bring them down or they'll have like they'll realize that or you know mm-hmm. understand where they're at with that and and kind of come back to it or come back to it later with an apology yeah. uh, but it's a really it's a really powerful move in a difficult situation. I love that. And I think like what you said, slowing down and breathing like in the moment, it mm-hmm. sounds so simple, but it really helps kind of ground you, yeah. especially if other people aren't grounded. And I think as a leader, you kind of have to be that calming force. Yeah, you have to model yeah. that for your team. And yeah. I've had tough situations where internally I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> but understanding how I have to show up to support my team and yeah. what's going to be the best thing to model and help them feel calm if they're witnessing. And, you know, typically my team is not witnessing any crazy situations. Sure. But uh, it's, it's really important to lead that way and set that example, whether people are witnessing it or not, just how sure. you carry yourself and how you do anything is how you do everything. And so um, being really conscious mm. of that in those challenging situations is important for everyone around you. Yeah, and even yourself, like totally. how you manage through it too. Yeah. You know, and one thing you've been open about is that you've kind of dealt, you know, even during your Goldman Sachs days, like anxiety and, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. Is that something that you've kind of had to work through starting this business or how has your relationship with anxiety changed? Or- I mean, it's something I have to work through for the rest of my life. I'll, I'm very type A. I'm just like an anxious person. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it really serves me. I think I have a lot of extra empathy and awareness and I think uh, I'm able to connect with people in a in a really lovely way because of where I can go or how I'm thinking about things or just like my maybe unnecessary level of worry about like someone else's emotional state but um, it it can bring a lot of connection it can also bring a lot of um, planning in a really healthy way like planning what could go wrong and so I've always been like that I've always been like okay what's our What's our Armageddon plan? Like even now, and sometimes my team's maybe annoyed by this. No one said they're annoyed by this, but like <laughs> I, I get it if you if they are. We like how we budget is we have um, base, gro- base, middle, and growth. Yeah. So base would be like if things don't work out, if if these things don't materialize, if we have some crazy supply chain challenge, if you know there's. God forbid, a fire at one of our larger apiaries, something like that. And then we have like the middle, which is kind of like we feel this is really achievable and then mm-hmm. growth. And we operate off the growth projection because we always try to meet those goals. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of work doing three different projections. And look, they feed each other. It's not like crazy from scratch. Some people hearing this are probably like, oh, my God, she's a psycho. <laughs> but it's really served us. And it served us, at, you know, during COVID. It served us. Um, with iOS 14 when we shift, when we were a D2C business and had to quickly make a shift to an omni-channel strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it gave us kind of a roadmap for how to respond to challenge. And so that is something that is probably a benefit of I anxiety. But going beyond that, I mean, I have to, and I'm so bad at meditating, but I have sure. to meditate. I have to use these tools. I have to journal. 
Um, and I have to just call myself out a lot because I, I will get really worried. <laughs> yeah. And do you work with like a coach or a therapist? I do. Like- yeah. Yeah. Different times both. Okay. Okay. Um, and it depends, you know, what's happening, what life phase, sure. what's happening with the business, everything. But support's so important for me. Like yeah. I – and I love working with people and I learn so much in that way. Mm-hmm. I, You know, I know some people who like they can read a book or listen to a podcast and – they, they get what they need. And I get so much from those areas too. I'm always trying to read self-help books yeah. and, you know, listen, listen to podcasts like yours and that sort of thing. Um, but coaching therapy have been huge tools for me. Mm-hmm. I love that. No, it's amazing. And I know we're getting uh, close to time, but there's just two quick last questions I want to bring up. Also, you know, it seems like time blocking is big for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this resonates, but I think I read an article where you said you dedicate an hour a day in your calendar to react. Yeah. Tell me, I'm fascinated and I probably can learn a lot from this, but tell me more about what you do in this time period and like why it's important for you to have this one hour to react. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think I need more than an hour, but yeah, I'm like, how does she do <laughs> <laughs> But it helps. It helps. It's it's a time to respond to stuff because as the leader, you are and I really encourage my team and when we have this like ongoing dialogue of you don't just come to me with a problem. You come to me with like what you've tried to do to solve the problem, why it didn't work, and then then we can problem solve together. Like I want to see that people have made an attempt at solving something. Sure. Um, and sometimes it's too big and mm. sometimes it's something that I should be solving. And so, um, but yeah, as a leader, people are always going to be coming to you for support as they should. Yeah. And you need to have space to react to that and to support people who need and just for for things to break things are always breaking Mm -hmm. and as as businesses grow there are more third parties there are more team members there's more technology to rely on like there are just systems and things that break down and making sure that you have time to whether it's like going through your inbox and just responding to things or you know sometimes I'll get like I'll wake up to like SOS messages over Slack and it's something that we can solve really quickly but make being like okay 2 p.m. I've got an hour like let's let's do this mm-hmm. it, it just creates the space to move through things so you don't get that backlog and it's really easy to just go through your day and have it totally oh, fill up it's totally crazy yeah and that's been something that has been a game changer for me oh amazing I'll have to try that one thing I just implemented because things like you said always come up naturally totally. it could be an employee it could be a customer it could Anything. be tech it could be an email whatever and I realized like I can't schedule back to back to back to back to back meetings because things will happen and I'm always playing catch up and you're in this like horrible cycle of like what am I doing I didn't finish this so and then you're stressed and you're like I'm letting people down I'm showing up late to this meeting it's yeah and so giving yourself and your team and everyone around you that time it's also so hard for me it's hard to say no to things like on my calendar mm. and so that's another that's a different thing I don't have a solution for that but <laughs> You're working I'm, through, I'm but working on it I appreciate yeah. you sharing that yeah, yeah. but the back to back thing can be really tough because you do need time to like just look at something process it and and make calls Exactly. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm just not happy. I'm, I feel like I'm my analyst finance days when I'm, li- yeah. I can easily get into that mode. Same. But I'm I like, I think it's like you're sort of trained to operate that way. And I go yeah. there so quickly. And Same. then I have people on my team be like, dude, you can do this next week. Like, why don't you push the meeting? And I'm like, I can't push the meeting oh because God, then it will be backed up this week. And like, 
Yeah, that I have like so this fear. <laughs> it's crazy. a sense of urgency <laughs> yeah. that is crazy. Like, literally, I had the situation last week and yeah. my husband's like, well, what's going on? I'm like, I'm just dealing with this stuff. I want to get it done. And I was like, you know what? I don't actually have to get that done today. Yeah. Like it's our company. Like it could be done tomorrow. It could be done. But yeah. there's some, my autopilot is, and I yeah. think we're just trained like that. So it's yeah. not, you know, it, we get a lot done. Yeah, but there's it's, good things there's that good come things, from it. Yeah. And you know, you certainly, it's, it would be very hard to be a procrastinator yeah. building a business. <laughs> True. It helped us in that yeah, way. Yeah. But yeah, it's something I'm, I'm trying to, to unwind. Work, unwind. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. And team, team helps. But for okay. me, and <laughs> I, I don't know if this is just me, but like it was letting go of things. Sure. Like, okay, let's let this person on the team do it. Sure. And not like they don't need me like holding their hand here. And yeah. So I mean, that You're that's, right. that really helps a lot. But I do, I do tend to, at every stage of the business, no matter how much support we have, create this like false sense of urgency <laughs> that's so silly that I have to like calm myself out on. So interesting. I'm. We had someone on the podcast where we talked about EMDR therapy, and I'm like, let me try to work on that. I just started. I I don't have any developments yet, oh, but I want to hear about that. I'm curious because I do get into that autopilot, and then yeah. time will not like go by, and I'm just like in the zone, getting mm -hmm. like shit done, which again is good. But like five days of that, you're just burnt you're, out, you're so tired, and you're yeah. like, what is this? Oh my gosh, I'm back to what I'm feeling like. Yeah, when, and you're like you know, resentful, yeah, and it's like, but exactly. you do that. I'm doing this to myself. Like Ex no one's exactly. making me. Yeah. I know it's so fascinating so I'll let you know what I find out yeah, through the process because clearly it's like an autopilot that we get into yeah. um so yeah I'll share all about that when I'm there awesome. but anyways Carly I feel like we could talk about so much this was amazing I just so um inspired by you love everything that you're doing I feel like I could have talked to you for just hours but you're amazing so thank you so so much for joining us today thank you it was awesome Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.